Our title this morning is Separation, um, not Isolation. We're, we're good at separating ourselves uh, from maybe things that we shouldn't. But the title this morning is simply that, Separation, not um, Isolation. This is the fourth part of our series, um, Living as God Intends, and it's entitled as such to help each of us reach and to grasp what maybe we're teaching on each and every week. So Isaiah 52, verses 8 through to 12. Let us just read um, together this morning. So listen, you watchmen lift up, listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy. For every eye will see when the Lord returns to Zion. Break forth in joy and sing together, O ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people and he has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has laid bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. And our main verse for today is verse 11. Depart, depart, go out from there and touch no unclean thing. Come out from it, purify yourselves, you who carry the vessels of the Lord. Praise God. So our main thought this morning is it's separation, not isolation from the world. I want to reflect just briefly this morning on a topic that we touched on last week, the rapture of the church. I want to speak... Just briefly, um, I want to reflect over that and look at the second coming of Christ and the rapture of the church where there seems to be a bit of confusion. I want to just clear that up a wee bit this morning. So if you've got a notepad with you, it would greatly help you this morning. We're going to be looking at that this morning. So the rapture and the second coming of Christ is two different events. And we want to just get that um, out there this morning. The second coming of Jesus the second comment is when Jesus returns to earth to establish his kingdom. This will happen at the end of the, the tribulation period in a time known as the time of Jacob's trouble. I'm sure you've heard that term. But the rapture is when Jesus removes his church, his people from the earth, and he brings them to heaven before the rise of the Antichrist. So they're two very different events. And what we do know is this, that only the saved... Only those who are ready to, to be with, with the Lord will have part in the rapture of the church. Those who aren't saved, those who have rejected Christ, we see that they will be left behind. At this time, the, the world is going to face terrible times under the rule of the Antichrist. And that's something we want to touch in in a greater way, perhaps in the, in the coming weeks. But what we know is this, that the Antichrist's rule will last in a seven-year period. At the end of this seven years, we know that Christ will return. We know when Christ's coming back in that respect. And he will be returning to save Israel from the hands of Satan. Now this is known as the second coming of Christ. I want you to look at verse 8 this morning in our text. Now just to be clear this morning, preaching, it reaches the heart. Teaching, it reaches the head. I want to combine both this morning. I want to reach your head and I want to reach your heart with the word of God this morning. That's why a notepad will, will definitely help you this morning. So I want to combine the both today. So look at verse 8. In verse 8 we see a prophecy. This is a prophecy on the second coming of Christ at the end of the tribulation period. And listen to the words. We, we, I'm just touching this this morning. Listen, your watchmen, they lift up their voices. And together they shout for joy. For every eye will see when the Lord returns to Zion. So this is during the tribulation period. We know that the kings of the earth will unite together 
and they will surround Israel under the leadership of, of the Antichrist. Satan, as you will know, is a counterfeit. What God sets in plan, Satan counterfeits it, and it's never anywhere near as good. And we see this with the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and, and Satan himself has, has crafted a counterfeit and it's what's known as unholy trinity. And this is important in these days, because you're seeing a lot of it on our TV screens. The unholy trinity consists of Satan, the beast, who is the Antichrist, and the false prophet. The Antichrist is, the, the, is, is also known as the beast, and he, according to scripture, is going to be indwelt by Satan. As Jesus was, was God incarnate, here we see another man who is indwelt by Satan. This Antichrist will be a world leader. He's going to form an allegiance with, with ten kings. And these ten kings, according to Daniel, are going to hand their power over to him. He's known as the Nittle Horn. We're going to look at that in a wee moment. It's in Daniel 7, where we read about ten horns, which refer to ten kings. And this beast is going to create a one world government. And this is going to be formed at the start of this tribulation period. This one world government is going to be blasphemous. It's going to deny the one true God. It's going to be one of the traits that's going to be easy to see. The beast system we see in play today, we see the promotion of ungodliness. This comes from the beast system. We see that the system is educating the world to sin. Do you notice that? Sin greatly. It's also educating the world that there's no God. It's also seen with the chip or the mark, or what's perhaps more known as the cashless society, which is before us this very day. Now, during this tribulation period, all who don't worship the Antichrist, this world leader will be, it's important you see this, will be unable to buy and sell. They will be forced out of the world's economic system. They'll be unable to access their money. They'll be unable to pay their bills, pay their rent, to buy food totally cut out of society. But this false prophet, he is going to unite the world in one religion. All will worship the same God is the lie that we see today, but it's going to change dramatically with the rise of the Antichrist. The false prophet, you see, convinces the world to receive a mark. And with this mark, they must worship the beast. So it goes from denying God to always lead to heaven till one way which is this beast system. Many today are concerned with the mark of the beast and this chip that we see coming into play. But I want to quote a commentator to you this morning. And he says this, that the Bible makes clear that humans will fully understand that by accepting the mark, they will not only be accepting a, an economic system, but also a worship system that rejects and denounces Christ. Here we see a truth regarding the chip, and it's important we understand that one bit. So everyone who accepts this mark will understand that they're denouncing Christ, that they are pledging allegiance to this world leader who the Bible calls a beast. This unholy trinity will persecute God's people, who is Israel at the time. This specific point in history, the church age will be gone. He will persecute God's people, and he will deceive the whole world. And you need to be saved this morning and ready and walking with God in preparation of this. I want you briefly this morning to turn with me, I want you to be active this morning to Daniel 
So if you're sitting at Isaiah, turn to your right. You'll see Daniel, Jeremiah, Lamentations. You should see Ezekiel. So turn to your right, and then you will come to Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7, verse 21 and 22. So if you turn to your right in your Bible, it'll help you for the sake of time. I want you just to get a bit of an understanding this morning of, of what the Bible's speaking about and what we're seeing happening in our world today. So this is speaking about, the, I, I talked about the ten horns, which is ten kings, and out of them ten horns comes up a little horn who's this antichrist. Now listen, let us read this. I, I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the ancient of days came. And judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High God. And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. And we praise God for that. So here we see, now keep your, your hand in, in, in Isaiah 52. We're, we're going back to there again. But I want you just to mark that in your Bible. I want you as we go through this in, in recent weeks to tie this all together. That you understand what this means. And here we see in Daniel another prophecy concerning Israel. And the Antichrist coming against her at the end of days. It also speaks of the return of Christ, the, the ancient of deaths. Remind yourself of, of this one truth, that regardless of what's going on in your life or our world, the ancient of deaths is in full control of all things. And here we see the, the ancient of deaths coming to rescue his people and establish his kingdom here in earth. Now it's during this battle, which is known as the Battle of Armageddon, that these watchmen that we see in verse 8 of Isaiah, this links us back to verse 8 in our text, and as here we see the battle of Armageddon, we, watch these, we see these watchmen, and they're at their posts. With the forces of evil at full strength against the people of God, we see this, that their hearts fail them not. Why, church, does their hearts not fail them? Because they are looking in full anticipation of the return and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we as a church, we need to look at in full anticipation of the rapture of the church, if you have a problem with disobedience or sin in your life, if you truly grasp that at any moment the Lord could return, you'll find that you will be set free and able to walk and serve the Lord. Christ is coming for his church, and I want to encourage you this morning to let your eye be fixed on the rapture of the church. Remember the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye, like a thief in the night, we'll be caught up be with the Lord. In Revelation, we know exactly when the Lord's coming back, at the end of the seven years tribulation period. But with the rapture of the church, we have no idea when, we're, when the Lord is coming back. So church, until he comes, we are to be faithful. And that's what I want to encourage you today, in your own inner man, be faithful to the things of God. With your eye on Christ and your heart ready for his home call, your heart and my heart will not fail, regardless of what's going on around us in our world today. It's not an amen, church. Regardless of what's going on in our world, if your eye is on the Lord and his coming again, you find you will stand when many around you will fall. So let's just be clear. Don't mix up the rapture of the church and the second coming. The second coming is when, when Jesus comes to take, or the second coming of Christ is when will take place at the end of age, when it's dealing with, with Israel. This is a time of Jacob's trouble. The rapture is a removal from the church from earth, and this will mark the end of the church age. With this in mind, church is a call to obedience.
But today I want to look at the call. Separation, but not isolation. And in verse 11 we see that call, and it's depart. It's depart, go out from there. And this is the, this is the call that, that I feel this morning we want to look at. There is a call for the people of God to depart from a certain way of living. You know, the gospel has always been that God loves mankind. But sin has marred and disfigured humanity. And he separated man from his God. Sin has left man somewhat angry. Have you noticed that? The world is very angry. And sin has left the world angry, broken and in full rebellion against God. But despite this, God loves the world, and he loves every sinner, and he loves you today. And this is clearly seen in the cross of Calvary. For there Christ died for every man and every woman, paying the price for our sin. And each person needs to, all all each person needs to do is acknowledge their sin before God, and by faith repent and come to Christ and be saved. So if you're not saved this morning, you can be saved this very day. Let's just make that very clear. You can be saved this very day. But then, church, once we're saved, um, we don't get to retire, do we? Does anybody like to retire? I think it's a lie we've been sold. Once we work so hard for so many years, we can retire. Most retired men can tell you that it's impossible to retire. There's always something to do. And it's the same with the Lord's work. There's always something to be done. But once we are saved, we don't get to retire. We get enrolled in the service of the Lord. We become soldiers. To say we, be, we become sons and daughters, it carries a lovely thought, doesn't it? We're sons and we're daughters. It even lets us believe that we can sit back and uh, the Father will perhaps tend to our every need. Doesn't it as well? It, it gives us, actually our daddy in heaven will just look after us because we're his sons and we're his daughters. But to say we are soldiers now, it carries a different thought, doesn't it? It doesn't say sit back and daddy will come and, and pat you in the back. A soldier carries a different type of thought. A soldier speaks of one of readiness, doesn't it? When you think of a soldier, it's one of readiness, one of discipline, one of seriousness, because war is not a game, is it? People perish. In our wee land, and we country, we know a lot about that. In war, people perish. There's separation, there's obedience, and there's also separation from the world, which is, is Babylon. And here's the main point today. To live as God intends us to live, there must be a separation from the world in the life of the believer. Is that a fair assumption? There must be a separation from the world in the life of the believer. So in verse 9, we see the words, Break forth into joy, sing together, you waste places of Jerusalem. Speaking of places that is destroyed by sin. For the Lord has comforted his people, and he has redeemed Jerusalem. It's important we see that he has redeemed Jerusalem. You see, church, there's always been hostility between Babylon, which is Satan's city, and Jerusalem, which is God's city. And in this prophecy in verse 9, what we see is Babylon has fallen. And Jesus has returned and redeemed his people. He's not only redeemed them, but he's comforted them. They've entered into the Father's rest, which is a place of peace, a place of security for the soul. And they've entered into this at this time. And what we see is that Israel can now rejoice because never again would she fall into the hands of the enemy. And this will all take place at the second coming of Christ. But let us bring to the present day 
the application for your heart and for my heart. In slide seven, we see this. That John says that my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Now listen, speaking about you this morning if you're saved. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. You see too that here the, the people of God have a reason to rejoice. What we see in this text is this, that the believer is secure in Christ. They also have entered into God's eternal rest. And that's rest for the soul. And church, if you're saved this morning, you will understand that comfort. Is that, is that fair to say? Is there an amen? There's a comfort. Before many of us were saved, we couldn't sleep at nights. We, we had disruption in our soul. Now, as I often say, many Christians can sleep under the preaching of the gospel. It doesn't affect them anymore. We can snore under it. But we have entered into a rest where God has comforted us. And there's this one saying that I thought of. Without Christ, the soul is condemned. But with Christ, the soul is at peace with God. And do you know if you have that peace this morning, you're rich? If you have that peace this morning, you are rich. Need you have nothing in your bank. If you have the peace of God, you are rich this morning. And with this thought in mind that the believer is to be reminded the importance of separation from the world, which is spiritual Babylon, and being a witness for Christ. That's why we need to be separate, but not isolated. In verse 11, we see that Israel is called to depart to come out from Babylon. Here we see the separation from the world and the redeemed of Christ. One commentator puts puts it this way. Now listen to this, please. It says, while the Bible does not teach isolation for the believer, it definitely does teach separation. There's a thought that we need to understand that there's certain things in our life that aren't good for us. And, and they're going to be placed in our path to get a hold of us. But they're not for us. And there's certain things we need to say no to. There's certain things that we have to separate ourselves from. But there are also conditions given to God on how Israel was to come out of Babylon. You know, to leave Babylon, it took effort. And for you and I to, to step out of them places of sin, it's going to take effort. What we know is this, that God has given them a new dress code. He put a new song on their hearts. He gives them a new order which speaks of obedience to the word of God. Depart from Babylon was the call. Touch no unclean thing was, was the command. And purify yourselves which speaks of obedience. So separation is not locking ourselves away from the world. That's isolation, isn't it? And I don't know about you, but in the early days of being a Christian, we sometimes can isolate a lot of things, a lot of people out of our life. What isolation does is this, it cuts people out from our life. It stops us from enjoying things that are to be enjoyed. It also hinders greatly the spread of the gospel. Separation doesn't mean we hide away in a hole from the world. It means that what the world condones and the Bible condemns, we have no part in. So what the world says is okay, and the Bible says it's not okay, we have no part in the world and what it says. It's a simple but very practical lesson. You have no part of it. But how is the believer to depart from spiritual Babylon? What's the practical side of that? How, how do we live in this world but not be caught up in it? Well, to understand this, we need to understand the state of Babylon. We need to understand what uh, Babylon stood for. And once we see this, we'll have no problem in understanding what it is we need to depart from. Babylon came from, from Babel. You, you know the Tower of Babel? 
Babylon followed from this. And we know that this tower that was built was built in total defiance of God. So you can only imagine if the nation that followed was also in total defiance of God. Babylon was a city of every type of sin was, was lived out and accepted. It's the opposite of what God intends for your life. It's the opposite of how God intends you to live when we live the way Babylon lives. Spiritual Babylon is the world that we live in today. Let's get that clear. Spiritual Babylon is the world that you and I encounter and we live in and we move in each and every day. And the Bible tells us that it's ruled by Satan. We see the DNA of the Babylonian society. And it's quite interesting because what we see was on display, full display in Babylon, is the very things that the Bible would tell us to challenge within our own lives. So what I see is this. Here's a nation that, with all the sinful desires, was meant to be oppressed, put on full display and celebrated. That's Babylon. All that's opposed to God is displayed as law. You see them all yourself, so I don't want to read all through them. So Babylon is a sinful nation that has no time for God. Spiritual Babylon is the world that we live in. And in Revelation 18, if you're taking notes in 4, here we see the Apostle John speaking to the churches. He says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out from her, my people, that ye may not participate in her sins, that ye may not receive of her plagues. These traits that we see in Babylon have no place or footing in the child of God. If greed has a grip of your life, then Babylon has got a hold of you. There's a simple illustration. Where there's rage and there's hatred, this will open the door to discord. Discord comes from Babylon, the spiritual side of Babylon. It's of Satan's house and it's not of God's house. We are to have absolutely no part in this way of living according to the scriptures. Christ has never called his church to isolation. Yet church, I would say, we're very isolated. Would you not? Our, our, our missions often consist of um, opening our doors, we preach the gospel, and if God by his grace sends one or two people in, we'll thank God and we rejoice. But it was never at all what the church was to be. The church was to be a complete light in the dark place. A, a living, breathing example of how you can live in a world flooded with sin. Christ never called his church to isolation, but he did call it, he has called it to separation. Babylonians, the, the Babylonian depravity, Babylon's depravity and, and idolatry has taken over our land. It's safe to say that. Hatred and discord is in every nation. It's in most homes got. And it's even making its way into the house of God. Discord. Hatred. Paul's speaking to the church in Ephesus. He says this, and he's speaking to the church of the last days. And he's saying this, Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath is coming upon those who are disobedient. In 2 Corinthians 6, Paul says this, speaking to the church again, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership can righteousness have with wickedness? What fellowship does light have with darkness? Then in verse 17 he says, Listen, come out from their mists. Be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you. And listen, you shall be sons and daughters. Sons and daughters aren't disobedient to the father. There's people call themselves sons and there's people call themselves daughters. And they're not sons and daughters at all because they don't live as such. At church, we're speaking to you and we know we're better. We know we're of God. 
But there's a separation process that must be preached. There's a separation that must be called out. In Colossians 3, it says this, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear, appear with him in glory. And therefore put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. The world lives like this without a thought of God. But the believer doesn't live like this. Why? Because of God. Isn't that right? Because of Christ. Separation is living for Christ in this world by having no part in our sin. You can walk and live and interact with this world because, listen, the Spirit of God is in you. And if you want to feel the Lord, the Lord shine in your life, you take a step beside the ungodly. You tell them about Christ. You watch your light shine. You watch the Holy Spirit give you words to say, church. You lock yourself away in four walls and you watch this country disintegrate. No new birth. You even become bored in your own faith. Because that's what happens when, we, when you put soldiers in a room and they're off duty to kill each other. Because they're, 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 they're trained for the battlefield, for action. And so is the church. We want to see a bit of action, church, don't we? Say amen. What about the young ones? Wouldn't it be great to see a bit of action? A bit of rebellion of people refusing to give their life to the Lord because sin doesn't want to let go of them, but we're setting them free through the gospel of Christ. Would you put the slide 11, please, for me? I want to close with this. Butler says this, when we as believers hear the message that sets us free, we are to spiritually separate ourselves from all pollutions of this world. Depart, depart, go out from there. This is God's strong charge to us. After we have been set free from sin and death by Christ, we must have nothing else to do with the evil and the idols of this world. We are to renounce all sin and idol worship, put them behind us and be totally separate to God. Church, isn't that something? Day 12. This world that you and I live in, it's not our friend. Does anybody think this world's your friend? friend deceiver this world will try and seduce you the enemy will try and discourage you and sin will try and disfigure you that's Babylon the Lord has created in you a new person simple as this that all who are in Christ and trust Christ and walk close to Christ and have no part in the world system, all that God has promised them will come to pass in their life. That's a simple truth of separation from the world. Let the redeemed of the Lord live a life of separation of sin. Let you live a life of separation of sin and isolation. Do you know what? Isolation from the world is a work of Satan. And I firmly believe it. Work of Satan. But separation from the world is a work of God. See, to isolate the church from the world is to hide her light from the world. Isn't it? From the lost. And this is not of God, church. That's why I want to remind you of not isolation. Refuse to be part of this world's defiance against God and separate yourself. But don't hide yourself away from God. Matthew 5, and we are closed, it's over. I just want you to see something about yourself. Jesus, speaking of his church, says this. You, the church, are the salt of the earth. 
Salt. It's nice with chips. Do you like salt with chips? Yeah, chips, salt, good mix. Needs to be salt. Salt does taste good. It's nice to be around. It brings flavor. It, it just adds to the time. Jesus says, if you're his this morning, you are the salt of the earth. He goes on to say that you are the light of the world. A city sat in a hill cannot be hidden. In order people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Speaking of isolation. But on a stand, not isolation, but separation, shining for the glory of God. And it gives us light to all those who are in the house. He goes on to say in the same way, Christian, let your light shine before men. So that they may see your good works. That's separation. And give glory to the Father who is in heaven. That's obedience. Church, don't isolate yourself this morning from this world. Separate yourself from her. Her defiance is this. The two fingers, if you like, towards God. And every Christian that lives and breathes and walks in through Babylon and, and be part of her does the same. But we're called to come out of it. And see that proverb, and that's our, that's our last verse, that's our last speak for today. But the path of the just is as a shining light. Shine us more and more onto that perfect day. Interpret that many ways. The Christian who chooses to follow God and separate themselves will shine like a light. And the more they follow God, the more they're obedient, the more they'll shine onto that perfect day. Church, let us shine for the glory of God. Amen? Let us shine for the glory of God. We're going to sing um, a wee piece, the world behind me, the cross before me. It's a great wee old hymn. But let us, let's not just sing it this morning, church. Let's believe it this morning and set our lives in a direction that we're going to say from now on, Babylon has nothing to do with my life. Free this morning. Can you stand with me? I just want to pray this morning.